Working in law enforcement, where officers suit up and show up every single day and serve their communities, can be a stressful job. Some studies show that the average officer experiences more traumatic events in six months than the average person does in a lifetime. Fortunately, over the past few years, the profession has made great strides in emphasizing the importance of officer wellness and mental health. Today, we're joined by Sherry Martin, National Director of Wellness Services for the Fraternal Order of Police. I'm Patrick Hughes, National President of Fraternal Order Police, and this is The Blue View. Well, Sherry, thank you for joining us today on The Blue View, uh, and thank you for all the work that you do for wellness uh, with the FOP. Uh, you do some some great work, and, uh, and our members are really benefiting from that. But for, for our viewers and our listeners who, who, who maybe have not seen your previous podcast that we've done with you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I am a retired police officer now. Um, I started my career in law enforcement way back in 1997. Um, I worked as a police officer first in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where I went to school, Go Heels. And uh, from there, moved to Charleston, South Carolina, where I spent most of my career in law enforcement. Um, patrol was where my heart was. I spent most of my career in patrol working through the ranks and uh, found myself at the rank of lieutenant. Uh, as a watch commander in Charleston when I when I left there. And I left Charleston in 2015 because I married a police officer from Connecticut. And uh, that meant a move to Connecticut. So I stepped uh, down from being a command staff person back to being a line patrol officer, um, which actually was a whole lot of fun going back and doing the real work again. <laughs> Not that command staff people don't do real work. It's just different. Um, and I miss that uh, police work. So uh, I worked in Enfield Police Department in Connecticut for almost five years, and during the course of my law enforcement career, I went back to school, uh, got a master's degree in counseling uh, while I was working in Charleston, and did some work as a counselor in the VA system, so I got some of those tools under my belt doing therapy work with veterans, um, and I've been a proud member of the FOP since 1997 when I started back in law enforcement. Uh, and, and have kind of been in various leadership roles in the FOP on the local and state level over the course of the last 20 plus years. And so when um, I found myself appointed to the Officer Wellness Committee, which is what we had uh, back then, one of our many committees on the National FOP, I was very excited to bring together my love of the FOP, my experience as a police officer, and my education in psychology and counseling into that role and, and to give my time on the Officer Wellness Committee. Uh, the fun thing is that some of the things that we got to do on the Officer Wellness Committee is we went out and talked to members about wellness. Um, we did a big survey back in 2018 that I know many of our members have heard about and kind of drew an unprecedented response to that survey about, which really told us how important mental health and wellness was to our members. So we took what we learned from that survey and seeing that there were maybe some gaps, there were some, uh, there was still stigma around officers asking for help, even if they, you know, wanted it. So we started to build some programs because the FOP is, you know, there's a lot of um, concern about confidentiality and agency provided services. If your police department, you know, doesn't uh, or offers you offers you services, there were still a lot of officers that were concerned about using them uh, out of fear of be, being seen as weak or unfit for duty. So the FOP we knew was in a unique place to build some 
some serious wellness programming to fill in those gaps because we know that our members trust us. Our mission is to take care of police officers and improve their lives. And so we started to put together plans to build some of those programs. And when that happened, uh, the federal government approached us and said, hey, we have some grants that might help you build these programs. Uh, and we know that you have the trust of your members. So um, after we were awarded grant funding, we knew that we really had to devote resources to the programs we were building and get someone to be doing that work full time. And so that's how I landed here as the first director of wellness services for this great organization. Um, I credit the, the wisdom of our leadership at the time with realizing how important wellness was and still is to our members with creating that division and, and putting the resources behind it. So that's kind of where I came from. I grew up as a military kid moving all around the country. So I've lived in a bunch of different states and been all over the place um, and um, split my time now between Connecticut and South Carolina. Um, and so I'm, I'm proud to be here today on The Blue View. It's good to have you, Sherry. So let's back up a little bit. Uh, you know, you, you clearly when you talk about, uh, about wellness, uh, the passion uh, shines through. Where does that passion come from? Why, you know, what you're a law enforcement officer and, you know, like all of us, you know, somewhat cynical <laughs> and, uh, and then you, you find yourself, uh, uh, really emerging yourself into officer wellness. What, uh, what, what pulled you towards that? You know, it's a, it's an interesting story. Um, I didn't intend to be a police officer. It's not what I intended to do with my life. Um, you know, back in college, I was a psychology major. Uh, I really wasn't sure I wanted to be a psychology major. I started out college thinking I wanted to be a, a judge uh, in the court and kind of found my way to psychology back then. And then um, when I graduated from college, I didn't want to go to school anymore. <laughs> you really can't work in the field of psychology with, with a bachelor's degree. So I, uh, I said, well, you know what, I think I'll go get a job. And I had been an intern at Chapel Hill Police Department uh, while I was in school. So I started work as a law enforcement officer, um, and you know, kind of the, the my initial interest was in forensic psychology. And you know, this is back in the days of Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal Lecter, and criminal profiling was a was a hot career. And uh, but I just didn't want to go to school at the time, so to law enforcement I went and found that I really enjoyed that work. Um, really. Um, you know, it becomes part of your soul when you do law enforcement work, serving the people. And more than that, I think the the fraternalism that I found um, in the FOP and in the profession itself really resonated with me. The, the brother and sisterhood uh, and the bonds between officers. And uh, unfortunately, uh, a few of my co-workers took their own lives during the course of that. Um, you know, when it, it was real in my world that, that police suicide was an issue because I had just as many co-workers who died by their own hand as I had co-workers who were killed in the line of duty. Um, and so that really spoke to me. So uh, when I went back to school and continued to pursue my education, I thought, you know, really my heart any longer was not in forensic psychology, was not in exploring the minds of, of people, um, you know, who, who might commit criminal acts. It was more in thinking about how I could be of service to the people that I felt like were serving their communities. Um, and, and so 
that kind of drove me then to the wellness arena where, you know, it start, started out as suicide prevention and how do we stop police officers from taking their own lives, make them more aware of their own mental health. But now, you know, it's it's about prevention. It's about living a daily uh life healthy every single day so that we're not just preventing suicide, we're living the best lives we possibly can in the healthiest way. And so it's, you know, my my passion for um, helping police officers stay well and live long and prosper and retire well uh, kind of evolves and changes just like all things, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a, a, a look at the uh, the whole wellness thing and look at it in two different aspects. The first one is is that if you look at law enforcement officers when they come into this job, they all have something in common. They all had background background checks, psych evaluations, and physically you know physical assessments. And it doesn't take long in seeing law enforcement officers after they've been on a job for a little while to to really be declining in 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 some of these these you know areas much more than people in general public. Uh, so, so there's definitely some signs there and, and just look at the trauma that a law enforcement officer experience experiences, you know, I say some, some studies say that, uh, uh, average person have two or three traumatic e- events in their lifetime. A law enforcement officer may have a hundred, 180, 200 over the span of their career as it affects them just as much. And I've always said that, uh, we have a moral and fiduciary responsibility to fix that which has been broken in the service of others. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because, one, it's the right thing to do. But the other one is is that every agency has invested a great deal of money in training and, and experience, you know, development and experience with law enforcement officers. It's, it's, it's protecting investment as well. So regardless of what motivates, you know, people to recognize the importance of officer wellness, uh, I'm fine with either path as long as we get the, the benefits we need. But we need to start looking, and that's where – that's where your job comes in, is that we can find people. We can see them. You can tell, in a lot of cases, the ones that are that are struggling. Uh, maybe not always. Uh, there are definitely those that don't want help, and, you know, we need to find ways to, you know, to address that. But really, the, 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 bigger, uh, the bigger effort to me is, is we need to find ways to you know, intercede long before we ever get to that part. It needs to be part of our culture. The training, we need to change that model. I, I mean, I look, I, I did this job for 36 years. You never talked about these things when I first started on a job. Uh, and, and we did a disservice. We did a disservice by not talking about them. It's important. It affects, affects every American across this country. And, you know, as a, you know, law enforcement officers are, are more susceptible as well. So, so uh, I, I appreciate you choosing this path because it is certainly to, to our, to our advantage. And I want to want to talk a little bit about the FOP's role of, of why. And look, I'll, I'll you know tell you that uh, our board recognized that uh, this was where we needed to be. We did this a little over three years ago, and uh, said, you know, this is where we need to be. Uh, we need to uh, be in the forefront of officer wellness. We recognize that we see our friends. I I, I too have lost you know friends to suicide. That uh, you know just uh, one of them I didn't see coming. I was with him two days before. Never said a word. And you know, now I look back and I say, okay, maybe there were some indicators that I did see. Um, but I want to talk about this path that we've taken and why it's so important and, and the role that you filled. And I can tell you that uh, your experience, the things that you've done, 
is a leadership role within this organization that the things that you've done in wellness made it a natural for you to be a first director. And uh, without hesitation, the board stepped up and said, you know what, she's the right person for it. And uh, you've, you've not, uh, you've not proven us wrong on any of that. Uh, so I appreciate what you're doing there, but um, for our, re- for our listeners and, uh, and, and uh, viewers, tell them exactly what the director of wellness services does. We listen to the members. Um, as we have developed all of the programs within the Division of Wellness Services, we have gone to the members and asked time and time again. Um, with surveys, we do a national survey every two years now. We have done smaller surveys during the COVID pandemic. <clears throat> we did a survey. When we started to develop peer support training, we went to the members and asked, what do you need? What are you looking for? What would you like this to be? Um, and so... I think the one thing that's unique about the FOP is that <clears throat> all of the wellness program that we that we have developed has come from the input of our membership. Even from the very beginning, uh, it was that survey in 2018 that drove the programs that we have now that, that uh, caused us to see the gaps and know what we needed to build. And we continuously do research. So I think that's maybe the one thing that I'm most proud of that we do is that we are building things based on what members tell us they need and they want to see in, in their wellness, um, in their wellness programming. So we, we do research. Um, that's maybe one of the hugest things that, that the director of wellness services does. Um, but we also vet providers for law enforcement. We look, we meet with individual therapists. We meet with inpatient treatment programs. We look at wellness training uh, programs that are out there. We look at wellness products like telephone apps that are built for law enforcement. Uh, And I, in the committee of seven professionals that I work with, these are active and retired police officers that volunteer their time on the officer wellness committee, look at each and every one of those resources because Officer wellness has kind of become a popular topic in the last five years, which is both good and bad, right? It's great that everybody's talking about wellness. It's great that we're breaking down the stigma about using wellness services. But unfortunately, that sometimes draws uh, people who don't have the purest of intentions that are looking to potentially make money from, you know, building a a first responder program without, you know, the appropriate credentials to do so. And so I think it's really important work that the committee does in working with me to look at all of those resources that are out there, figure out which ones are in the game for the right reason, which ones are coming from a place of service to law enforcement and not just looking to make money, um, and, and putting those into a national directory, the approved provider bulletin, which we're getting ready to launch the website for. Um, it's it's going to open here probably in the next day or two. Um, and as we continuously vet providers, that approved provider bulletin, that directory of services is going to continuously fill up as we find more and more competent providers. Because the good news is there are providers out there that want to help law enforcement, that want to work with law enforcement, that want to boost our wellness, uh, teach us how to take care of ourselves, get us well when we're, when we're not doing so well. And it's just a matter of us finding them and finding quality uh, and building out those uh, resources in that in that uh, guide that we have out there. Um, another thing that we've done, uh, I and the committee, is we we have been doing this vetting of services now for some time, even before I was on the Officer Wellness Committee, long before I was the Director of Wellness Services. Uh, the original members of the Wellness Committee had been vetting some of the programs that were 
out there even five, six years ago. And as we started to expand our vetting and do this more and more, uh, we started to get a lot of inquiries from police agencies and police officers and their families about how we do the vetting. You know, what is it that we look at? Uh, because they wanted to be able to do the, the, that themselves. A lot of police agencies in 2020 got some federal grant funding to build wellness programs in their agencies, and they kind of, some of them weren't really sure where to go, how to start with finding competent providers. And <clears throat> people knew that we were doing that. So they came to us and they said, how are you guys doing this? So we published the FOP Wellness Provider Vetting Guide. You could just Google FOP Vetting Guide and it pops right up in Google. Um, and that's a document that was created by our committee that lays out exactly what we look at when we look at a wellness service, uh, whether it's an inpatient treatment program, a training program, uh, an individual therapist, so that someone could take that guide and, you know, an individual, an agency, uh, a police spouse, um, and, and, and use that to find an appropriate provider for them. Um, we are writing curriculum in law enforcement peer support. Um, that's another thing that's been a huge undertaking of our committee. We're in a cooperative agreement with the Department of Justice COPS office to write the Power in Peers curriculum, which is our standardized law enforcement peer support curriculum. That'll begin to be rolled out uh, at the beginning of 2023 across the country. And we'll be able to teach the same curriculum across the country to police officers that, so that all peer supporters across the country are trained the same way and they'll be speaking the same language. So we've got lots of irons in the fire in the system that kind of, kind of all works together. Um, you know, those things each are kind of connected to each other uh, because they, the information helps us build the systems and they rely on each other to function. So Sherry, one other thing that uh, that the FOP does, and, and and you are a huge part of its success, is for uh, for three years now we've had a wellness summit that is growing bigger and bigger every year, and uh, agencies are sending people over to be trained. And uh, as you said, you know the stigma is off now. We're talking about these issues. Important, uh, maybe some just because they want to check the box to say that uh, that they're doing wellness, but uh, but. But the vast majority is because they want to do the right thing. And uh, so with that wellness summit, our fourth one is coming up uh, in Nashville uh, the last week of January. Give us a little glimpse of what uh, our attendees can expect for this year's uh, wellness uh, yes. summit. Yes, very excited about this. I've actually been working on this quite a bit this week. So uh, the dates are January 30th and 31st. That's going to be at the Sheraton Music City in Nashville, same location we were in in 2022. Um, and this, uh, the, the previous attendees to the summit will see a little bit of the same structure, but as always, we bring in new presenters every year to keep, keep what's, what we're t teaching fresh. Uh, we make sure that we look at what's current. Uh, and so we're going to have some really interesting talks about, um, surviving physical injuries. Um, we're going to have some interesting talks about the legal issues surrounding those mandatory wellness checks that we see popping up around the country. Um, you know, some challenges that have come up to wellness checks. Important things I think that uh, people will need to know if they are going to be facing mandatory wellness checks coming up in their state. What that should look like, uh, you know, if our, if our lodge leaders have a hand in crafting the language around those mandatory wellness checks, we're going to give them some information that will help them do that. Um, we're going to have breakout seminars on various topics like we normally do. I'm excited that 
our National Auxiliary has started to do some family wellness programming, and we're going to have them come in and talk about some of the things that they're doing. Um, We're going to shift things a little bit to try to include families more because that's a trend that we're seeing um, that that our our officers want is more programming for including the families because families are our officers' biggest source of concern as well as their biggest source of support. So uh, it's become very clear to our committee that we need to start including families in this training as well. Uh, So we're excited to be doing that. we will once again offer some physical fitness, optional physical fitness options, uh, which last year we had, or in 2022, uh, we had great participation in those activities, which I was very excited to see. Kind of the whole environment around the Wellness Summit is, you know, being healthy, um, getting healthy, staying healthy. We will have a number of our vetted and approved wellness providers there um, in our vendor area to showcase what they provide in their programs so that uh, attendees at the summit can learn about all of those things. Um, And and then again, we are going to have uh, the wellness professionals forum again. So what we do with that is we bring in for one day um, wellness professionals that we have connected with. So think clinicians and those who work in these treatment facilities that serve law enforcement to come in and network with each other and learn about what our officers are facing. We're going to give them some information about what today's officers are facing out there uh, across the nation because they may, you know, have clients uh, in one area of the country but not realize what's going on in other parts, and we want them to all be well-informed. So we bring those uh, clinicians in, let them learn and network from other clinicians, and then uh, they're allowed to attend the summit as well if they want, and it gives them an opportunity to network with officers and lets the officers and their families that are attending the Wellness Summit build relationships with some of those clinicians so that it normalizes talking to a therapist, you know, and having a friendship or a friendly relationship with a therapist that takes some some of that stigma away. So we're very excited. The committee has been working hard on getting this, uh, uh, the agenda details finished, and uh, we hope that uh, we're going to have the best uh, summit yet. I'm looking forward to it, and I know that uh, every every year it gets bigger and better. So, uh, great work uh, by your committee, and uh, Sherry. Let's uh, as we start wrapping this up, uh, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. You know, I look back in in my career uh, and and saw the evolution of these issues. We never talked about them before, and now we're we're openly talking about them and and doing intervention and doing training and doing things that are that are helpful to to for the well being of officers. Um, Look in your crystal ball and tell me what you see for the future of law enforcement. Oh, lots of things on the horizon. Our committee is always talking about what else, what else do we want to do? And we always have a long list of things that we want to do someday. So hopefully someday comes soon. Um, So one thing that we're going to be doing that's going to be a big undertaking is in the next couple of years, we've um, received more federal grant funding to continue uh, the delivery of the Power and Peers curriculum, which is our peer support curriculum. So as we go around the country and teach trainers in Power and Peers and teach uh, officers in the Power and Peers curriculum, 
we're going to build a network of trained peer supporters across this country. So what that will do for us is we can have peers from all over the country, trained peer supporters, networking with each other so that if there's an issue still where an officer is insecure about using peer support, let's say maybe they're in a small agency and they have trained peer supporters, but they're just not sure, we're going to be able to give officers across this country access to a peer supporter who might not be near them geographically so that they can still have an ear and someone to talk to um, so without being worried about their confidentiality or their privacy being compromised. So the, the other thing that will happen along with that is as we build out that approved provider bulletin with the directory of, of wellness professionals across the country, we're going to be able to offer m more direction to officers who are looking for wellness services. Um, we're going to be able to pinpoint them in the direction of that as we continue to vet providers. That's going to be an ongoing process for the foreseeable future because there's just so many providers out there that want to be engaged and want to be part of the effort to keep our officers well. We, As I mentioned already, we want to build out some family programming as well. We want to start to include families in our wellness efforts. Uh, I think there's a, that's a big opportunity there, uh, you know, working with our auxiliary to do some family wellness training because, um, you know, as we think about wellness, I think we're kind of over the hurdle of recognizing that police suicide was an issue. And, and we're still, there's still stigma, but we've tackled it quite a bit. So now, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, yeah, what do we do from here? Well, what I'd like to see is that we continue to be proactive, get in front of it, start at the academy level with teaching officers about holistic wellness, you know, and I, by that I mean financial wellness, physical wellness, family wellness, all spiritual wellness, all of the things that keep someone well. We want to see officers not just survive, but thrive through their entire career um, and, and, you know, pick up those habits early on that will keep them healthy. Um, one other thing, I think that the research has played a huge role uh, with the, the surveys. We're going to continue to do those. That's going to be done every two years. We're going to do a major survey of our membership to kind of measure where things are, to see what officers are facing, what, um, how they gauge their wellness, what they want to continue to see in wellness programming. But I think another thing that you know the research does for us is it pinpoints exactly how much of uh, the struggles that officers are facing come from those traumatic incidents, how much of it comes from the things that they deal with inside the four walls of their agency. You know, sometimes it might be just the stresses of forced overtime or, you know, um, not so great leadership that, that is causing them stress and causing them not to be well in their lives. And so we want to start to look at all sides of that and how to cope with all sides of that uh, and work through it to be stronger, healthier officers. So lots of things on the horizon. Oh, great. Uh, Sharon, I think I want to leave it up. We, we ended up with one thing I think is very, very important. You know, I've, uh, I look at, uh, you talked about service providers and a vetting. And uh, I think there are a lot of people out there that, uh, that, that know that they need help, but a lot of times they, uh, they uh, are maybe reluctant to do so. And, and I think when you look at the vetting of these programs, there's some important factors with it. Uh, you know, I, there's no shame in, in seeking help when you need it. But I, I tell you, I've looked in the faces and in the eyes of, uh, of families that have been forever changed because of people that were too proud to get that, uh, to, to get help, uh, the end result of it. So if you could, I think it's important for anyone who's listening that, uh, that maybe is struggling. And what does, 
What do the vetting programs look like? I, I think uh, they probably have a fear that they'll be thrown into a general population with a, you know, people that are drug addicts and, and everything else that are that are not police. And, and, and I can understand how that would be uh, something that, uh, that, that would not be appealing to, to anyone seeking help. But that's not the case, is it? Uh, tell us what those vetting programs are. Yeah, we're so again excited about how we do that too. In in our vetting process, this, so there are some other uh, entities out there that work with law enforcement that do some vetting, but I, ours is the most thorough vetting process I've ever seen, uh, and I'm very proud of that because our committee's feeling is that we would never want to recommend a service um, or, or you know say that a service has been vetted and approved unless we would be comfortable using that service ourselves. So, you know, if you take, like, for example, an inpatient treatment program, that inpatient treatment program, in order to pass vetting with us, has to be first responder specific. Um, the, uh, the, you know, if, if someone is a client in the program, they're not housed with uh, people that are not first responders. That's kind of one of the first rules of vetting an inpatient program. The programming, you know, whether they're going to uh, therapy with an individual clinician or they're going to a group uh, to, you know, to have a more like a peer support discussion. Uh, it's all first responder specific. Um, so, you know, and there's many other criteria that we look at, but that's just one example. Um, when you talk about how we vet individual clinicians, um, one of the um, criteria that we look at when we vet an individual therapist is how do they make sure that that officer, when he comes in or she comes in, to see that therapist is not going to run into a coworker who might be using the same clinician. Um, we expect them to have a procedure for making sure that that won't happen. Um, and so all of our vetted providers that are going to be in that approved provider bulletin have those safeguards in place. Uh, they are extremely focused on keeping the officer's privacy and their confidentiality intact. Um, the providers that we seek and we vet and approve understand how important it is uh, to the officer that, that their privacy be maintained. Um, most of the providers have a background in law enforcement. Either they were prior law enforcement or some other first responder themselves, or they have family uh, that is first responders. So, you know, those are the things that we're looking for. We uh, on our committee are um, never going to uh, vet and approve a resource that we would not use ourselves. So what, what we do is when we look at a program, if it's an inpatient program, we physically go there ourselves. We tour the facility. We see where uh, an officer would live, eat, sleep um, while they're in the program. If it's an, if it's an individual clinician, we interview them um, through an interview and an application process so that we can see how they interact with two police officers, you know, who they, who they might have in their therapy space. So um, if it's a training program, we sit through the training program and, you know, see what we think about it as we experience the training ourselves. Um, so we experience all the things are as close as possible as an officer would experience if they went to that provider. And then once we do that, uh, we go to our full committee and we vote as a committee on whether or not we think this uh, entity, the provider or the program, w should pass our vetting. And we go step by step through our vetting criteria and we rate each provider or program on those vetting criteria. And then once our committee votes to approve a program to be, to be put in our national directory, we then come to you, the executive board, for that final approval, and then uh, we, we put them in that directory. So it's a multi-layered vetting process. Um, 
as I said, it's the most thorough I've ever seen. And I think the, the, the important thing, you know, much like our legal defense plan, is that it's done by cops for cops. Uh, it's us putting it together. There's not some outside entity that's not law enforcement telling us, oh, this is a good resource. We're doing it for ourselves. Yeah, no, no one understands uh, the, the pressures and challenges faced by cops than other cops, and nobody knows cops better than the Fraternal Order Police. Not a bad slogan, is it? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> uh, Sherry, I, the, the work your committee does is just uh, outstanding and appreciate uh, all of your efforts. We'll, uh, i give you a chance to say some final words, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. You know, you spoke earlier about you know, still that there might be stigma out there, and I recognize that. I mean, you know, I, I lived through a career in law enforcement, and it's, sometimes it is a hard thing to be able to say, hey, you know, I need a hand, but... There are resources out there that are good. Um, you know, if there is someone, you know, we always recommend 1-800-COP-LINE. Um, that crisis line is, is meant for law enforcement, is staffed by retired police officers who have been trained to talk to fellow law enforcement who are in crisis. So, you know, if someone is in, in, in a crisis situation, 1-800-COP-LINE. There are other crisis lines out there also that we recommend that we have vetted. Those will be found in that approved provider bulletin as well. Um, you know, but you know, please, please, if you think that, you know, if there's someone out there that thinks that they can't face another day, um, you, you can, and, and we're here to support you. The Officer Wellness Committee uh, has a load of resources that we can share with our members, and so uh, at any time, they can reach out to us. Well, thank you. And if uh, if uh, viewers or listeners would like to learn more about the wellness program with the Fraternal Order Police, visit our website, www.fop.net. And uh, there's uh, constantly information being shared there. Uh, Sherry, appreciate you. And to our viewers and listeners uh, at home, thank you for tuning in to the Blue View, where we talk about the issues that are vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up every single day in communities across America and protect those they've sworn to serve. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else to get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.